and, and remembering together Christ's death uh, for us. Uh, now, Lent is traditionally uh, a time where we are focused and uh, becoming very aware of our need for a Savior. Uh, we should be always aware, but, but Lent helps us to re- kind of lean into that truth and recognize our need for mercy. Uh, that's one of the reasons we're looking at Micah 6 8 uh, during this Lent season, is we're mindful of what God calls us to, but also what we are in need of. And so Micah 6 8 has been our, our focus uh, during Lent here. And so what I'd like to do is we're going to read this text at the beginning of our service. And like last week, I'm going to have you all stand and I'm going to read it. And then after I read, I'm going to ask you to respond. I will say the word of the Lord and you will all say, thanks be to God. All right. So we're going to do that again, practicing our heart posture of being of responding to God's word. So stand with me. I'll read our text and uh, then ask you to respond back. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, back in the uh, 1900s, as my kids would say, um, I did a gap year uh, in between high school and college. At one of the jobs I worked, I had the privilege uh, of unloading trucks at a loading dock. And uh, one of the highlights of this job is that uh, the company owner bought donuts uh, for the workers and put them in the break room. Now, we started work pretty early, so by the time break rolled around, we were really looking forward to our donut break. Um, It was wonderful to come in, see uh, the chocolate glazed, or maybe the Boston cream, or the blueberry cake donut. And I really look forward to having my donut during break time. So you can imagine my consternation one day uh, when we came into the break room after unloading a large truck only to find that the driver of the truck had eaten all of the donuts while we were unloading his truck. We were not happy with him, to say the least. So when he arrived the next week with his truck, Uh, for us to unload, we first ran into the break room and hid the donuts. So he could not find them, so we thought. He found them. (laughs) And he again ate the majority of the donuts. So we had decided he needed to learn a lesson. Something needed to be done. Back then, uh, you could purchase x lax and chocolate squares. (laughs) Now, if you're unfamiliar with x lax um, you can either ask uh, uh, someone who's around my age, uh, or you can Google it. I'll leave it to you. Um, we melted down some of the chocolate X-lax and frosted a number of the donuts, and then waited with giddy anticipation. He showed up on time. He promptly marched to the break room and once again devoured all the donuts. Now, I'm not exactly sure when he put two and two together, but suffice it to say, he did not partake in the donuts in the future. And I gotta say, we really enjoyed watching that guy get what he had coming. Well, this morning we're considering mercy. Um, (laughs) Now, mercy at minimum, it's more than this, but at minimum, mercy is about not getting what you deserve. And before you all judge me too harshly this morning for my lack of mercy, um, and by the way, I had nothing to do with the donuts back there this morning, okay? 
But before you all judge me too harshly, I would suggest that there's something within all of us, within all of our souls, uh, that likes to see other people get what they have coming, especially those that we disagree with, those that we're in conflict with, those that are on the opposite side of ideological issues. We sense something within us just loves to see the other people on the other side get what they have coming. But in Micah 6.8, we read this troubling phrase, that God requires us to love mercy. What is good and what does the Lord require of you? Now last week we considered what it means to act justly, to love justice. And this week we're considering what does it mean to love mercy. True goodness requires that we become people marked by mercy. So we'll consider two questions this morning. What does it mean to love mercy? And then how can we become people who love mercy? All right. First, what does it mean to love mercy? Well, that, uh, the Hebrew word there for love mercy, it's the Hebrew word hesed. And it's translated a number of ways. Uh, here this morning in the New International Version, uh, it's translated as love mercy. Other translations uh, translate it steadfast love. Others, loving kindness. Others, goodness. Others, faithfulness. It's a hard word to fully encapsulate. And so we see all these different phrases. Steadfast love, loving kindness, mercy, goodness, faithfulness. And hesed has to do with all of those things. So we're going to unpack first, what does that word, translated mercy or loving mercy, really mean? And I want to focus on three aspects, three key aspects of hesed. First, undeserved love. To love mercy is about undeserved love. Not love that is merited, love that is earned, love that is deserved, but a love that is not. And I mean, we could just spend the whole rest of our time reading scriptures about this verse or about this word, and they are so rich. I just want to highlight a few here. Uh, In Psalm 103, verses 8 through 10, we read that the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. There's that word hesed right there, steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. Listen to this. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to to our iniquities, that God does not interact with you or I based on what we deserve. That's what this this verse and that word is telling us. God does not interact with you and I based on what we deserve. Now, at first blush, you might think, oh, well, maybe I wish he did. Sometimes when we don't get what we want, we think, that's not fair. I wish God would give me that thing I was asking for. We almost think we deserve the good things in life that we desire. But if we were really to stop and think about what it is that we deserve from God, we would quickly change our tune. Uh, God does not interact with us based on what we deserve. Uh, Let's do a thought experiment. Just imagine, or for, for those of you that have children, you can imagine this, but imagine you do have children, and imagine if your child treated you the way that we all tend to treat God. That is, uh, if your child rarely talked to you except when they wanted their allowance, 
or if they ignored the majority of your instructions or expected that you would give them everything that they asked for or, or, or they expected you to not allow anything unpleasant to happen to them. Well, you'd quickly think, man, you got the wrong perspective about our relationship here. And good parents don't treat their children based on how their children treat them. And God is the perfect parent. God does not treat us in the same way that we treat him. He treats us based on his love, his undeserved love for us. Now, this does not mean that God does not bring any consequences into our, li- into our lives. He does. But two things about that. First of all, we never get the full punishment for our actions. Never. We never do. Jesus got the full brunt of the consequences of our actions. We never get the full punishment. And secondly, any consequence that comes into our life is always meant for our good. God is never getting back at us. He is always pursuing and correcting and redeeming. God interacts with us based on undeserved love. You might think, well, why? Why does God treat us that way? What's his motivation for loving us in that manner? Uh, The last two uh, verses in Micah are so beautiful. Uh, Micah chapter 7, verses 18 18 through 20, answers that question. It says, Who is a God like you, who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but, listen to this, delight to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depth of the sea. You will be faithful to Jacob and show love to Abraham as you pledged on oath to our ancestors in days long ago. Right there in the middle of that passage, uh, there's a reason given for why God loves us with undeserved love, with undeserved mercy. And it says it's because he delights in mercy. He is eager to show mercy. He wants to pardon iniquity. He's eager eager to pass over transgression. He wants to tread our wrongs underfoot. And he wants nothing more than to cast our sins into the depth of the sea. Do you believe that's how God sees your sin? Do you believe that that's God's uh, intention toward you? Because what I find is that we we subconsciously begin to think of God as being eager to get us for our wrongs, almost looking for things that are wrong in hopes of catching us, in hopes of punishment. And when we slide into that kind of thinking, we have a wrong view of God. God is a God of undeserved love, who, yes, is just, who does punish sin, but his delight is in showing mercy. He delights to show mercy. First, uh, we see that hesed, or to love mercy, is about undeserved love. Secondly, we see that hesed is about loyal love. Loyal love. In Isaiah chapter 54, verse 10, we read, For the mountains may depart, and the hills be removed, but my steadfast love, there it is again, the word hesed, my steadfast love shall not depart from you, My covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. God says that my my hesed, my steadfast love, my merciful love, my faithful love is more enduring than the mountains. 
What a great picture that God's love is more enduring than the mountains. Uh, Think of that reality every time you go for a hike or look at a picture of a mighty, majestic mountain. I mean, we could work our whole lifetime trying to remove stones from a mountain, and it would not make a dent in the size of the, of, of the mountain. And a mountain is so much greater than we are. Our work could not remove it. And God is saying that my love for you is, is bigger, more enduring, longer lasting than the mountains, all of them. That God's love is loyal. I love what the uh, Jesus Storybook Bible says about God's love. It says that God loves his children with a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. That's how God loves us. And because God's love for us is not based on us, he never gets tired of pursuing us, of forgiving us, of loving us. Do you believe this? Do you believe that God loves you in that way? That God will be faithful to you even despite your sin? See, if you do understand and grasp uh, even just a small amount of the depth of God's love, what it does is, is, is it'll make us confident and steadfast, that we can have peace and security even when others are not loyal to us. So if you have the steadfast love of God as your foundation, then you are safe and secure even when others betray and leave you. If we have God's love, we have something more secure than the mountains that we can build our life upon. God's uh, faithful love, or hesed, is about God's undeserved love. It's about God's loyal love. And lastly, to love mercy is about love in action. It's love in action. God's undeserved faithfulness and his loyal love are never mere sentiment. It's never just talk. I mean, people are very free with the words love, right? We talk about love in a lot of things, right? I love pizza. I love basketball. And sometimes for some people, I love you is little more than a way to say goodbye. Love you. You know, it's goodbye. It's never that way with God. Love is about action. Because all too often, our human words of love, even when intended to be meaningful, are so often not followed up with action. We can say I love you, but then fall short in our ability to live for somebody else's good. And God never falls short in his action. Uh, One uh, website, I'd quote it, but I forget which one it was. (laughs) One website I was looking at this week defined hesed this way. It said, hesed is not a romantic infatuation kind of love. It is a faithful, reliable love. Like when a wife prays for years for her husband to know God. Or when a parent lovingly cares for their autistic child. Hesed is faithful, it is loyal, and it is love put to action. Uh, A pastor in the Evangelical Free Church uh, said this, Bill Kynes is his name. Uh, Bill said, Hesed is never merely an abstract feeling of goodwill, but always entails practical action on behalf of another. Always. God's love is practical action on behalf of another. And God has taken action to love us. He's taken action to love mercy. While we were sinners, 
God demonstrated his love for us. Jesus came to earth. Jesus lived like us. Jesus lived for us. Jesus took action to love people on the margins of society. Jesus taught people about what is best and right and good. He cared for people in his miracles and brought healing and wholeness. And then in his death and in his resurrection, he dealt with the source of all evil in this world, our sin. And then he has sent his Holy Spirit to indwell us now. This is love put to action. And Jesus is still taking action today in our lives. There's never a day that goes by that God is not actively at work in our lives to love us. It is love put to action. Even in the hard situations, God is doing things to form our character and to draw us to himself. Jesus' love always works out in practical action. So when we come to this phrase, love mercy, uh, we see that God is merciful, that he, he is uh, treating us based on his undeserving love. He is loyal. Uh, his love is more enduring than the mountains. And God always puts his love into action. So we can understand what it means to love mercy by looking at God and particularly looking at Jesus Christ. And part of me wishes I could just end the message here. If we could say, that's wonderful. I'm glad God loves us that way. But then we have this clear teaching of Micah 6.8, which is calling us to love that way. It's calling us to be people who love mercy. And Jesus reiterates this commandment clearly. In Luke 6.36, Jesus said, Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. I wish he hadn't said that. I mean, I can't read that in good conscience and think that I've lived that out. Be merciful as your Father is merciful. How do we love like that? How can we become the kind of people who love mercy? And that's what I want to consider for the second half of this message. If we're going to become people who love mercy, there's a couple things that we need to recognize and take action based on. First, fundamentally, we need to recognize our need for mercy. If we're going to become people who are merciful, we need to first recognize our own need for mercy. Uh, Jesus told a lot of stories um, to bring this principle out. Uh, one in particular he told was about two guys who went to the temple to pray. Uh, one was a Pharisee, uh, a very devout man, a very religious man, a man who believed the scriptures, who made it his aim to, to live according to the scriptures. Probably someone that we would look up to in our churches today as being a very, very good person. He came to the temple to pray, but he was not the only one. Another man came to the temple to pray who was a tax collector. Uh, he did not follow the scriptures. Uh, he broke God's law and quite obviously did not follow God's instructions. He had betrayed his countrymen. Uh, he was working for the occupying Roman government. Love of money drove him. Everyone could look at him and say this was not one of the good guys. Tax collector, Pharisee, both come to the temple to pray. And the scripture, or Jesus tells the story about their prayers. He says that the Pharisee prayed like this. He said, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all I get. Then we get the prayer recorded of the tax collector 
who prayed, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, that this man, the tax collector, rather than the other, the Pharisee, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And the teaching's quite clear here, that the Pharisee did not recognize his need for mercy, simply because he was so focused on the badness of other people. Uh, He was looking at the tax collector, and compared to him, he did stack up pretty well. Uh, He was not betraying his countrymen. He was not letting the love of money drive him. He was trying to obey the scriptures. So just on a human level, on a horizontal level, he stacked up pretty well. And I fear that all too often, this same dynamic happens for us, especially for people who are trying hard to follow the scriptures. Maybe at your workplace or in your neighborhood, you can look at other people who couldn't care less about what God says. And you think, man, that's a pretty rotten way to live. And you're right. But you see how this dynamic ruins our ability to see our own need for mercy, our own sin. The Pharisee could not see his sin as he came to the temple. All he could see was the badness of the tax collector. The tax collector was not comparing himself because he didn't stack up well. It wouldn't have worked in his favor. And he throws himself on the mercy of God. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And God delights to answer that prayer. It wasn't, okay, prove you really mean it. Once you get a little better, God, that day, he was justified. He went home forgiven. God delights to answer our request for mercy. See, Christians are those who have come to recognize their need of God's mercy. We've become people who are, are, are more aware of our own need than those around us. And that's hard to do, to stay focused on our own need of mercy rather than the need of the mercy for the people around us. And that awareness, I think, actually grows as we mature in Christ. We might think that our need for mercy is bigger at the beginning of our spiritual journey and then diminishes as we become more mature in faith. But I think it's the opposite. Uh, There's a helpful illustration I came across in a book by Paul Miller. Uh, He wrote a number of books on the Christian life. And um, in one of his books, he had this illustration, which I'm not sure if you can read the uh, words or not, but I'll, I'll try to describe it to you. At, the, at the, uh, the line there is a timeline. And all the way on the left side is the beginning of a person's journey with Christ. When they first come to faith in Jesus, recognizing that they are a sinner in need of mercy. Now the top half of this is God's holiness, veiled from us. That before we come to Christ, we really don't see God for who he really is. In all his righteousness and holiness, um, we kind of think we're pretty decent people. So the bottom half is our sinful nature. We don't really fully grasp that either. But as we progress, we see that our illumination, our awareness of God's holiness and our sin grows. Now, at the beginning of the Christian journey, there's a very small cross. We understand that Jesus died for our sin. We're sinners in need of mercy. But we don't realize how much. I mean, I know this. um, I am way more aware of the depth of my sin now than I was when I first came to Christ. Now, it's not that I haven't seen any growth in character. By God's grace, I think I have. But there are things in my life that I wasn't even concerned about when I first came to Christ. And now I realize, oh man, you're acquiring that of me too? That's an area of life that you want to 
bring into your kingdom? Yes. So as we progress in the Christian life, in some ways the cross is bigger to us. We realize even more and more we need mercy. And when the cross is that big for our own sin, we're not then focused upon the badness of others around us. We're pointing others to the cross. It's what God has done to redeem us by his cross in Christ. Christians are those who are deeply aware of their need for mercy. And they are so thankful that God has met that need fully in Jesus Christ. How can we become people who love mercy? We first need to recognize how much we are in need of it and how much God was giving it to us in Christ. Secondly, though, um, if we're going to become people who love mercy, we then need to respond to others with the mercy that we have been shown. We receive mercy from Jesus, and we respond to others with that kind of mercy. Uh, Jesus, because this was a big topic for him, told another story about mercy. He told of a man who had incurred a great debt to a king. You may be familiar with the story. It was a debt of millions of dollars, which was impossible for him to repay. Impossible. He could never make enough money in his lifetime to pay off this debt. Uh, And so he pleaded with the king to be patient with him and to not treat him as his debt deserved. And the king was merciful. And instead of giving him more time to pay it off, he canceled the entirety of the debt. And the man went out from that palace, and on his way home, he ran into a friend who owed him a few hundred dollars. And the man became enraged when his friend said he didn't have the money to pay him back right then. And his friend begged for mercy, for more time to pay him back. But the man refused and had his friend thrown in jail. Others saw what the man had done and told the king about it. And the king called the man in before him. And the king said this, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? Then the king handed the man over to the jailers until he could pay back all he owed. And Jesus concluded, these are hard words. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. I mean, do you see the, the depth of concern that Jesus has that we would both receive the mercy of Jesus and extend the mercy of Jesus? Friends, we have been shown even more mercy than the man in Jesus' story. And our debt before a holy God is that enormous. And Jesus has paid it all. He's paid it all. And we like having our debt paid. I do. I'm so thankful that Jesus has forgiven all my sin, past, present, future. The question is, is that reality causing me to interact with others in a merciful way? Is it making my heart tender towards others who might be bad? Am I becoming more merciful? We, uh, Christy prayed this morning based on the Lord's Prayer, and it always gets me when we get to the part about our sins. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. The connectedness between receiving and extending forgiveness and mercy. See, when we seek to receive mercy from God without extending mercy to others, it reveals something about our view of salvation. If that's what we want, to receive mercy but not extend mercy, it reveals a very transactional view of salvation 
instead of a transformational view. A, a transactional view is a view where we seek to be saved from the consequences of our sin, but we don't want to become different people. We don't want to change. We really think we're actually okay. We just kind of got in trouble and need to have the, the, you know, the punishment taken away. A transformational view realizes it's not just the consequences of my actions, it's the source of my actions. It's me. It's my heart. I need to be different. And God's salvation is that big, to not only pay our debt, but to change us. He's forgiving us and giving us His Holy Spirit. The new covenant we celebrated in communion, it's about the forgiveness of sins and a new heart that is promised to us, that we can become different people by the mercy of God. A transformational view of salvation is salvation in full. We become different people. Now, I got to tell you, as I was uh, preparing the message this week, this one hit me really hard. Um, I mean, I see glaringly areas in my life where I don't show mercy. God was good enough to highlight those for me this week. Um, I see areas where I don't want to treat others with undeserved love, loyal love, active love. There is a deep need for growth in mercy in my life. And there is such good news here. Because if we want to become merciful people, God says we can. That God is continuing to forgive our sin. He's continuing to grow us. We are on this journey of discipleship with Jesus, learning to become like him throughout our whole life. And so one of the questions for us is what opportunities do we have in our life right now to practice mercy? Because God's bringing them into our lives as practice opportunities. It might be the person you work with. It might be a neighbor. Uh, it might be a family member that God has put in your life. And in your own human perspective, and our flesh perspective, that is just an annoyance. But in God's perspective, it's a growth opportunity. God is growing us in the character trait of mercy as we extend to that person undeserved love, loyal love, active love, not based on their goodness, but based on God's goodness to us. And so we practice this reality of becoming merciful people. And over time, God grows our hearts to become more merciful like Jesus Christ. So kind of two questions for you all as we close. First of all, right now, you know, where in your life do you need mercy? Uh, if we say that we're all sinful people in need of God's forgiveness, well, it helps to know where specifically we see sin. Where are you in need of mercy? We all have sin, and God sent Jesus Christ to deal with it. Are you bringing that sin before God, knowing he delights to show you mercy? Where are you in need of mercy right now? And secondly, what opportunities do you have to practice mercy uh, with others right now? Bring that before God also. You're not going to be able to do it in your own strength. Ask God for the help to love people in that manner, an undeserved love, a loyal love, an active love, not based on their deserving of it, but based on God's love for you and for them. I'd like us to close the time of prayer, and I'm going to walk us through a guided prayer time where you can, kind of in the quietness of your own heart, uh, pray to God as he leads you. All right, let's close in prayer. Lord God, we are so thankful that you are a God who is slow to anger 
and abounding in steadfast love, that you have not treated us as our sins deserve. So Lord, I pray that in your goodness, you would help us to be aware of the areas where we are in need of mercy. God, I pray that you would show us, Lord, the areas that we need to bring to you. And God, we ask that you'd have mercy on us. Lord, we are sinful people. Lord, we have failed to do all that you've said to do, and we failed to love others as you've loved us. And we are so thankful, Lord, that despite, uh, Lord, our faithlessness, you have been faithful. So, Lord, have mercy on us. God, we also thankful, thank you that you've not only forgiven our sins in Jesus Christ, but you are looking to change us, uh, to renew us, to restore us, to become merciful like you. So, God, I, I pray for those areas of life right now uh, where we need to show mercy to others and just are finding it hard. God, I, I pray for these situations that we probably all have, uh, coworkers, family members, neighbors, uh, classmates. Uh, God, we bring these situations before you right now. And God, ask that you would have mercy on the people that we are struggling to have mercy upon. And God, would you help us to be able to show your mercy to others. So give us the strength that we lack, God. Again, we thank you for the mercy that you have shown us. Uh, we never get tired of saying thank you and that we do love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We all stand and we'll sing together.